Hello and welcome to our Ackerman Center podcast, where we'll explore Holocaust-related topics during the time of our new virtual reality. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Valente, Visiting Assistant Professor of Holocaust Studies at the University of Texas at Dallas. My guest today is Dr. Niels Romer. He is Interim Dean of the University's School of Arts and Humanities, the Stan and Barbara Rabin Professor of Holocaust Studies, and the Director of the Ackerman Center for Holocaust Studies. Hi, Dr. Romer. Hi, Dr. Sarah Valente. How are we doing today? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing quite well. I'm looking forward to yet another episode tonight. Um, I think our show is moving along, moving along, and every time it's adding on another layer of of complexity. So, um, you know, really every week, an interesting endeavor to watch it again. Yes, I definitely agree. And we're also really excited that uh, we, as our podcast, we're finding new ways of connecting with our listeners. And so we're excited to announce that we have now created an Instagram account at Holocaust Podcast, where we're posting quotes from the episodes and where we can have direct communication with our listeners. And so for any of you who are listening, if you're interested in talking to us directly, communicating with us, please um, check us out on Instagram at Holocaust Podcast. And we would love to hear from you. We also, if you want to come on the show and um, talk to us, that's also always a possibility. So by all means, just um, look it up, Instagram, and uh, send whatever you want or just like us. We like that as well. This was in lots of ways um, our very last week of teaching. So I think we should just really take a moment to thank again all the heroic teachers who, you know, Crash learned online teaching and all the students who were ecstatic and, and, you know, tremendously willing and understanding to bear with us. You know, sometimes when it took us a little longer to figure this out, I remember my very first online class where I was also a little bit uncertain about the technology, but I think we all together did it. And we all managed um, really to cross this really difficult divide from spring break now into the summer. And I think for now, we should just, you know, all congratulate ourselves and take a moment and then, you know, again, move forward and, and tackle the next one. But for now, it's, it's we are looking at graduation packages next week. So that's exciting. That's very exciting. And I think our students also have gained a lot of new skills, as have we. You know, we have really become immersed in all of the technological possibilities, right? We've been able to really explore this, um, yeah. I think, in a quite successful way, too, that Perhaps we even exceeded our own expectations. I think it really created a momentum. You know, this was obviously not desired or willed. It was more, you know, forced upon us. Right. But there is even in, in this situation, there's some, you know, un, you know, some good outcomes. And I think the way in which we embraced it, came together, what we learned in the process um, has all been really good. I think the overall staff of the School of the Arts and Humanities has taken more continuous learning programs, you know, in the last five weeks than they probably would have otherwise done in a year. So there's a lot of good that comes also along with, you know, which obviously is a really, really difficult period for everyone, but Mm -hmm. also, again, in different ways for institutions of higher learning. But how about our show last night? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Last week, right. Last week, yes. It was such an incredible episode, right? It was just simply massive. 
And it gets also ever more complicated because the individual sites, Poland, Germany, England, France, become ever more complex as the war unfolds and as the Germans are really very much in the opening sequence of the Second World War seem almost impossible to stop. Um, right. and, and therefore dictating really their will um, upon the better parts of Europe and do this almost without you know much delay. And it, it happens so quickly that it's hard for, for, for the Europeans to adjust to the new reality and it almost leaves us as viewers breathless. Exactly. And I think you know, the overall arc of this episode, of course, was the Battle of Dunkirk, which is this incredible massive moment where we have you know the thousands of soldiers now trapped on the beach and there are the hundreds if not thousands of planes nazi planes you know flying overhead and just showering them with bullets and so i think it'd be really interesting for us to talk a little bit you know what is the importance of dunkirk to the overall history of world war ii so to the history of, of World War II, or rather to the memory of, of, of World War II, that it might Definitely. be almost the, the more important one. So for starters, there, there's this odd moment where uh, the Third Reich outflanks the Allies and therefore is able very quickly to advance into France. And that's, you know, almost comes at the end of our episode that Nancy um, in, in Berlin is announcing the defeat of France. But in the meantime, it means that good part of almost 400,000 British men are quite literally stranded in, in France and have nowhere to go. And it creates now this opportunity as the Germans are encircling it that they potentially could press on and keep you know, attacking this pocket of British soldiers. But for various reasons, they only partially decide to do that. And there's an endless debate about it, but they, the Germans essentially halt, are halting the advance mm -hmm. for about three days. And that creates enough of a window of opportunity for the British to essentially really send anything that can swim across the channel, whether it's a, you know, a sailing boat or whatever, um, to succeed in getting about 340,000 of their men across the channel. So it's a miracle. Yeah. I think going into that moment, they expected initially to be only able to save about 10% of their men. They end up about, I think, saving 80%. So in that respect, Incredible. it's... It's incredible. But the memory or the significance of this, you know, going forward is also quite interesting. So it's a British TV show. So therefore it is there. Many of you know of you might remember that in 2017, we mm -hmm. had the famous movie Dunkirk come out. It has featured very prominently in other movies as well. And you can look it up. There's a quite literally a term called the Dunkirk spirit. That is the ability of people to come together in adverse circumstances and overcome this as they're working together. So in that respect, it's, it's for the British and has always been something that they held very dear, the type of memory. But on the flip side of that memory is also the other aspect, and that comes out in our show as well, that the cyclone is, you know, France is falling, the British forces are, are barely making it out of Europe, Britain is alone. Yeah. And this Britain is alone message is really tied as well to the Dunkirk. And it's that memory, the Britain is alone and left alone, mm -hmm. that is obviously also behind the Brexit exit. So in lots of ways, that kind of spirit of us coming together and the spirit of only relying on ourselves without anybody else 
is is kind of celebrating this moment, but it also has that other application that England is always alone. It has always been left alone by the other European countries. So it's therefore one of these memories that is very mobile and can be Mm -hmm. employed in different ways. That's incredible. And if we change a little bit the geographical uh, conversation and now focus back in Germany, and we see the very difficult choices being made by Mr. Rossler, the father of the family, as we already had seen in previous um, episodes where he makes the decision to join the party as, you know, a way to protect his family. And then in this last episode that we saw, something quite dramatic occurs. Um, and of course, he's doing all of this under the idea that he's trying to save his little girl. And so the question really becomes, what was life like under the Nazi system, under the Nazi party, for the ordinary German family? That's a really a good question again. Uh, it'll you know, let me just maybe backtrack for just a mm-hmm. moment on this. I think when, you know, we were to Google now quickly Third Reich images, then more likely we'll come across these pictures from the Nuremberg rallies, from the yes. triumph of the will. And, right. and we have some of that imagery also in, in, the, in the TV show itself, like Berlin mm-hmm. um, decorated with flags and wherever. And so I think what we have to remember is that is a display of power. It's not power in and of itself. It's a performative aspect of mm-hmm. the Third Reich. In truth, the Third Reich takes a lot longer t- and, and is not quite as totalitarian as we might always have thought, at least not that early on. And there are still opportunities for people to just you know, remove themselves and not partake. There are even opportunities further down where people can... Um, oppose certain aspects without big consequences. So I think this idea that we for too long had that Hitler comes to power and the entire right. nation immediately shifts into one direction and has to follow mm-hmm. almost like marching soldiers in, in, in its, you know, behind their leader is, is really wrong. And I think, you know, we see this here as, you know, with Rossler that he's succumbing to this idea that this is a way to, to protect himself. Uh, he's very vulnerable, obviously. He wants to, to protect his daughter. So um, that's understandable in many ways. Or we can mm-hmm. kind of, you know, empathize a little bit with his mm-hmm. choice here without you know, endorsing it. But it does show that war changes the circumstances a little bit. Um, so whatever opportunities may have existed prior, um, the more we go into the war, the more complicated it gets. But I think even there we have to make differences. We're still here in the opening sequence of the war where mm-hmm. what compels people to follow is the great success, the victories mm-hmm. um, that, that are almost intoxicating of sorts. So that creates one you know, rational for following. Uh, later, it'll be when they are more on, on the defeating line, you know, mm-hmm. it becomes a different dynamic. But I think early on here, you know, we're st- struck also by this you know, and this is hard for us to understand when we, we look at the, the TV show at Poland and Warsaw, we mm-hmm. see this devastated urban landscape. Then we see Belgium and we see France. And then I think the G- American journalist, you know, says mm-hmm. this at the end very tellingly. And when she wraps it up, she says, these Germans have just defeated Poland and now also France in such a in a stunning way, but the most terrifying aspect about their victories is that in Berlin, it feels as if they're not even at war. And I think that's a real big aspect, again, of the 
reality at home, so to speak. That mm-hmm. the reality at home in '39 was that not all Germans were enthusiastic about the idea of going to war. Mm-hmm. And when Germany was uh, successful, or victorious in, in the first battle against Poland, when they returned, I think a good many of the Germans cheered the returning troops also on because they thought, this is it. We're They're done. done. Mm-hmm. This is it. Uh, and so I think that, but all in all, up until the attack on the Soviet Union, Many Germans now increasingly benefit from the war. There are soldiers who are returning from France that bring things along. Mm-hmm. There is an abundance of luxury goods that constantly is available. So there's no hardship on, you know, on the home front quite yet. Mm-hmm. We have lots of scenes from Berliners being out on the lake in the summer, going for a swim, strolling in parks. Mm-hmm. So there's a strange normality to life still. And I think something else that really stands out as we think about the way in which war starts to really change the characters. And we start to see people being sort of pitted against each other, trying to gauge and measure, you know, how loyal is the other person to this cause. And I think that this is interesting because if we think about, you know, how was it in 1933 when the party came into power? How is it in 39 when the war starts? How does it change later on? We see these changes, but there's something about this, the way in which individuals are now starting to look over each other's shoulders mm-hmm. and they don't know how to proceed, right? It's all very uncertain. No, I think that's very true. And we, we see this in very telling cases, you know, way here in, in with the Rossler that it also changes pre-existing hierarchies because she's a member of the party. She is, was otherwise just a member of the working class who would have never dared to challenge her boss, all of a sudden feels empowered. So all other existing hierarchies of class, of education, it's not that they become irrelevant, but Mm -hmm. they can be, they are becoming more porous and they can be more challenged in the name of the, of the party. And so we see that Mm -hmm. the other part, I mean, and let me ask you, what do you think about uh, Cassia in Poland? She also seems to undergo not, our heroes are changing now. Yeah, Cassia seems to have adjusted to this new normality that she, it's part of her day-to-day job. And she no longer even remembers. I mean, there's this very powerful line where she says that she remembers the face of the first Nazi soldier that she, she helps to kill him. And she says, I don't even remember the one from yesterday. And right. so it's this kind of normalcy that unfortunately war creates, right? That people simply become completely numb to what is actually occurring right in front of them. But then again, our ever-sophisticated show also wants us to know that the other is also possible. So we see all of a sudden our British Harry becoming quite noble and quite a leader and Mm -hmm. very defensively standing now in front of a a uh, troop of Senegalese soldiers who are shell-shocked and he will not let them go. He will make sure that they'll be part of the, the ones that are evacuated. We also see our um, physicians now mm-hmm. in France really coming to, to the aid of all those that are in need. So characters are changing mm-hmm. um, in many ways in, in this uh, sequence for, for better or worse. But I think most importantly, we also realize that we are now entering really a, another stretch of the war. And so far as, again, our journalist, Nancy in Berlin, her last transmission is turned off. Yeah. And so we see that this chapter has come to an end. And now Europe is, is kind of under lockdown, so to speak. 
mm-hmm. with um, the Nazis having asserted themselves, the Third Reich asserted their power and control essentially at this point over the better part of Europe. Definitely. And I think we'll see the greater consequences as the new episode airs tonight. Very much. So go also and check out the website from PBS. There's a lot of you know, really interesting material put together, historical documents, little film snippets about Dunkirk and, and other things. So there's a lot there. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Romer, for your time and look forward for next week. Same here. Thank you so much. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Ackerman Center or on our website at utdallas.edu forward slash Ackerman. Until next Sunday. Today's episode was produced, edited, and engineered by Sarah Valente.